Welcome to our Wednesday night virtual Bible class. We're having a little trouble with the video, but we're going to keep going with the audio. For those who aren't regular attenders at the North Brevard Church, we've just finished a series on the parables found in Luke chapter 15. And the final one ends up with a parable of an older and younger son. The younger son was a little bit wild and the older son was a little bit starchy and both had done things that would be wrong for their father. So we asked the question, out of the two prodigal sons in Luke chapter 15, which one do you identify the most? Sue Shumate writes, older son, always stayed home, been in church, but attitudes have not always been what they should be. Cindy Foreman writes, the older one, I always was the one to do what was expected of me by my parents. I didn't have a lot of rebellious times, but I also didn't always have the best attitude towards the things that I thought were not fair. And Susan White, I identify with both. I tried to obey my parents and be the peacemaker, although I was not critical or resentful of my siblings. We were definitely different and chose different paths. I had my do-it-my-way time in my life too. Not as extreme as the younger son, but for me it was the great opportunity for God to show me the different choices I can make. I'm very proud of the responses we've got, and you've set our class off in a good direction. So let's look at some other times that Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees and what the Bible has to say about it. In John chapter 5, John is, writes that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, in that town, there happened to be a sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. There was a great number of disabled people used to lie, and the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And then Jesus noticed one who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. And he asked, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone goes in ahead of me. Now what he told Jesus was a common everyday explanation. They believed when the waters were stirred on a specific date, it was an angel that stirred them, and if they would be the first one in the waters, they would be healed. But every time he tried, when you're an invalid, somebody's going to get there. And Jesus looks at him and says, Get up, 
pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the men, you had been healed. It is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Now, after that happens, they find Jesus. And Jesus tries to explain who he is and why he's come. And the crowd's not too receptive. So when Jesus gets close to the, the crowd, he tells the Pharisees, why are you trying to kill me? And the crowd doesn't hear it, so they don't understand. And Jesus said, I did one miracle. Yet you were all astonished. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though it had actually did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you will circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make right judgments. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they were trying to kill? What Jesus has done here is taking a, a command that the Pharisees took very strictly. They had made limits on the Sabbath. And carrying your mat and walking to another place wasn't in it. But Jesus pointed out Moses commanded to do something on the Sabbath. Every child had to be, every male child had to be circumcised the eighth day. Well, what if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath? You circumcise the child to keep the law of Moses. So Jesus wants to know why, if you can have that little law, why you can't heal the whole person. In chapter 9, we have the same kind of situation. There is a man who was born blind, and the disciples look at Jesus and say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. But this man is blind to show the power of the kingdom of God. He put some mud on his eyes and told him to, to go wash in the pool. Slome, and he does, and he comes back seeing. Now the Pharisees bring him in, and they said, how do you see? And he says, well, uh, on Jesus made some mud, and he put it in my eyes, and I can see, but it's, it's the Sabbath. 
Now the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. It was just putting mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But other people who were there were asking, how can the sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. The Pharisees weren't anybody to quit early. So they bring some other people in, his parents, and asked how he sees, and they didn't know. So they asked him to come back a second time, the man who was blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man, that is Jesus, is a sinner. And the blind man replies, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. One thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. So they asked him, what did you do to you? How did he open your eyes? I like the answer of the man who had been born blind. I've already told you. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Now, you could have said a lot to the Pharisees that might have gotten them more angry than that, but I don't know what would. So they start hurling insults at him. You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but as far for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The arguments were important. But as you can see, when it comes to rule, and having rules, it's how the Pharisees lived their lives. So the second question we asked on the site was, if a rule seems senseless or pointless, would you keep it or break it away and why? Fran Robinson writes, I'm really not much of a rule breaker, generally. And the Rhonda Dickerson says, me either, Fran Robinson. Sue Shumate said, I'd keep the rule at least half-heartedly. Probably. But I'd resent it if I thought it was senseless. Now, I'm not going to give you the name of the next person, but it builds here. First, he says, some rules come about by wisdom and history. 
their rules don't always come with an index collection of data backing up the decision. So some people don't have the proper insight to think it won't happen to me. For instance, tsunami stones. They warned the Japanese not to build below a certain elevation due to earthquakes and tsunamis 100 years earlier. The stones had been forgotten and the messages disregarded over time in the homes and the nuclear plant were built in the stay out zone. Thousands of lives were lost. A nuclear disaster occurred. A quarter of a million people still live in temporary housing. Similar things pop up in the news regularly. This person is gored by a bison in Yellowstone for not keeping the proper distance. The hiker who died in the Grand Canyon by going off trail for a better picture. And the pandemic spread. Second, the same writer writes these words, some rules create balance and equity. I put the kids in team sports to teach them to work within a set of rules. For instance, soccer has 17 laws of the game. These govern play to keep things even. The rules come with penalties and restart methods. The worst violations receive a red card which ejects a player from the game and the team plays with one less player on the field for the remainder of the game. Offensive, insulting, or abusive language and or gestures is punishable by a red card. When things get too tight with certain teams, my favorite players on the teams that I coach regularly called something offensive every time. I approach the referee and I'm, so, and I'm told I didn't hear it. Breaking the rules and not enforcing a rule when the rule is the equity on the field. Similar rules exist in business, government to create equality based on race, gender, sexuality, social class, etc. This is on today's news as such as the pandemic. And third, the same writer says some rules aren't black and white rules. These kinds are breakable within the proper insight. For instance, right now our food pantry is closed. Sure, I put the asterisk next to the closed. If someone's in a tight spot and needs to help, I've been known to hand out a bag full of food. And I'm not the only one. But we're close to handing out food to 60 families a week because of a number of factors. Similarly, it's against the rules to drive 80 miles per hour, an hour through town and, and blow through stoplights. 
But emergency vehicles do it when necessary. It's against the rules. Halfway at church, the hallway at church, excuse me, for the safety of others not to run. But we let kids run when they're the only ones around. One side note, I've been known to ride a bicycle through the church building while preparing for VBS. And I know that's typically against the rules. <laughs> One last example. Jesus asked eight with the tax collectors and sinners. Rock on, Jesus. He had the proper inside and gold before he broke that rule. And the last comment. The Jewish prayer known as the Shema begins with Hero Israel and continues with the command to love your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. It stresses the blessings that come with the obedience and comes with the reminder to keep all of his commands. And we know that loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind makes up the greatest command. Along with loving our neighbors as ourselves, self-reflection, growth, and change are the keys to keep and to, and desiring to keep these rules and receiving the promised blessings. Now for you that haven't guessed yet, this comes from Michelle Fortney. You rock on, Doug Hunter. Great examples. I would also keep them. Sometimes they seem senseless, however. Wiser people than I have made them. It means something, even if I don't get it. And Ann Burton writes, I think rules made for, are made for a good reason. But sometimes it's necessary to question why some rules exist. Doing something simply because that's how it's always been done doesn't make it the most efficient course of action or that it fully protects whomever or whatever it was meant to protect when it was originally made. It's important to respect authority, but not blindly. Good comments. And I think most of us could put who it was when we got to soccer and the rules of soccer. Not a lot of us do it. But the Pharisees thought that their rules couldn't be broken. One of the places to go is when Jesus goes into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand is there. And the Pharisees are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it's completely restored just as the other. Now you think that that would be a, a wow moment. But it's not. The Pharisees went out and start plotting how they might kill Jesus. So they send the temple guard out to find him. Now the temple guard did not have the authority to go out and bring in a fellow Jew, but the Sanhedrin didn't care and the Pharisees and the scribes didn't care either. So they send the soldiers. And the temple guard comes back and the chief priest and Pharisees asked them, where is he? Why didn't you bring him in? And the temple guards say, no one ever spoke the way this man does. And the Pharisees, you mean he deceived you also? Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. The people like Jesus. The Pharisees are looking for a way to kill them. And so they look at the crowd there waiting for Jesus and they say the whole crowd is cursed. But there's a representative this is Nicodemus who had gone to Jesus earlier in chapter 3 and he is a Pharisee. He asks, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. And you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Now, that's not in the Bible. It doesn't say which towns they come out of usually. Jesus was raised under the rule that could have led to his death, but he fleed. And he finally goes back to Nazareth. So what was Nicodemus trying to get across? Nicodemus was quoting out of the Mishnah. Now the Mishnah is the way the Jewish people usually refer to it. If you're Gentile, you probably would say oral law. It just didn't quote the scripture. It explained the scripture. And when it explained the scripture, it said that you could not condemn a man without hearing him first. That meant they were wrong. But they would never admit it. That brings us to our final question. Has anyone jumped to an incorrect conclusion about you? How would you feel? One member writes, yes, very hurtful by a sister and a brother in the church. 
Kate, Casey Parker Strawbog writes, all the time. But Jesus made me special. And at least that's what my mom says. And Casey, I agree with your mom, you're special. But it's what Jesus tried to get across. And they make conditions one after another. Jesus' disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath because they were hungry. And the Pharisees said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Are you getting a theme to what they did? It wasn't unlawful to pick the grain. It was unlawful to harvest the grain, which meant taking a sickle to the plant itself. And Jesus answers with one of those situations that, that can be hard for certain first time you read it. David's fleeing for his life. And he hasn't eaten in quite a, time, in quite a while. So Jesus says, haven't you read when David and his companions were hungry and they entered the house of God and he with his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Jesus is right. They had read it. Or haven't you law, read the law that the Sabbath priest and the temple desecrate the day, and yet they're innocent? Now this one is... Something you learn very easy if you teach teenagers. When I was at my first church, they asked, do you work on, on Sunday? And I assured them I did do work on Sunday. Might not be what they considered work, but I did. And they said, oh, you better never tell us not to work on Sunday. The reason they wanted to know that is they got double time for working on Sunday. Jesus says they work on the Sabbath, and yet they're considered to be innocent. I tell you, one is greater than the temple is here. If you'd known these words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I like it in Matthew. I love it in the book of Mark. Because Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man, for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made as a day of rest for man. It wasn't a day to erect rules that would violate God's law. God was the one who suggested the rest. And God's not up there looking down at us and saying, see what they did wrong with this rule or that law. The reason God gave us principles to live by, rules, is so that we'd have better lives. So that if we followed his way, 
we would live happily and know where we were going afterwards. They weren't so that God had his checklist of who kept them and who didn't. God was being a good father and looking out for his kids. So he gave them principles to live by. The Pharisees never got that. If you've looked at God as a God that sends down lightning bolts when you mess up or is looking for you to make a mistake so that he can put your soul in jeopardy, you've got the wrong God. It's not the God of the Bible. He loved us so much that he gave his only son. When we didn't deserve it, he gave us Jesus so one day we could go home and be with him. That's the difference. The rules are to make us live happy lives, not to burden us. If you're looking for a place to attend church this Sunday, we'll be open here at the North Brevard Church. I think you'll love it here. We're warm and caring, and we love everybody that's with us. Thanks a lot. See you soon, I hope. Good night.